after we were saved, we had a burden to bring the gospel to people, but we were just kind of uh, bothered by the, the spirit of the day, which was to be very high pressure, very in your face, very forceful, uh, almost to the point of being harsh and unkind. And I thought there's got to be a better way. And so I took a class at Faith from Hal Miller, who founded Campus Bible Fellowship, had no clue who he was. And six of us sat in a room uh, and he came by two hours every, every week and taught us about our relational evangelism. And he, and uh, some of you may remember Hal, and he was on the UNI campus and he interacted with a lot of athletes and got involved in their life and found a way to relate to them in a personal way. Many of them came to Christ, many went into full-time ministry, and I thought, you know, I could do that. And so I want to just give a little bit of an overview. Each of you uh, can have a copy. And just so you know, you can get additional copies on our IARBC.org website. So we're going to be going over the, the little sheet in the middle of it. It's kind of how we use them as, a, we use our, as our kind of template for today. But you can uh, download uh, your own copies in a PDF file uh, at IARBC.org. And uh, the suggestions for use as well, you can download them and use them to your heart's content. Uh, just a couple of things about this. The benefits of this, it helps me equip people for the work of ministry. It's the job of a pastor to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. This becomes a tool on how to do that. It also helps answer the question, what do I do next with someone? And this assumes we're building friendships with people, and it could be neighborhood, it could be visitors to your church. A lot of people saved in, in Carroll were people that visited church, and we did this with them. Um, one, uh, Matt and Kelly came to our church, uh, started coming, and I preached a message, and it was done. Matt gets up and says, can I speak? I said, sure, always reluctant to do this. He gets up in front and pours out his heart about how he got saved when he was a kid and got away from the Lord and married his wife while he, he was away from the Lord, and she's sitting here listening to all this. And she's just terrified. I'm going, oh, man. And, of course, he just unburdens his heart, and he got married away from the Lord and married her. And she's thinking, and I'm going, what do I do with this? So I, I had Mike deal with that, <laughs> Pat's brother. Mike wanted to talk with us. They went to my office, and where do you go with that? So I said, do you want to do a Bible study with us and walk through these things? So this became what we did next with someone. And I think a lot of us want to share Christ with people in an organic way, and uh, do it in a way that's natural. You build a friendship and the awkward transition, what do you do beyond the friendship and the visitor? This becomes what you do next with people. And we've had people come to our church or visit our neighbors behind us and say, do you want to do a study with us for a few weeks? So it becomes a nice natural transition to what to do next. We did the study with them and uh, confirmed that Matt had been saved as a kid and Kelly got saved doing it and baptized later, he became a deacon. And it's just a good next step. And I think a lot of us just don't, I didn't know what to do next with people. And, and, and without being kind of weird and pushy, so it's an organic thing. It provides um, a plan and gives people confidence. It's a good flow of, of thought here, penetrating questions. It spends adequate time talking about sin and uh, the Savior and what saving faith means. That's lesson one, two, and three. Talk about our sin nature, uh, Christ, the provision for sin, and what saving faith looks like. And it's done in a way where beyond a track, they, they look up the verses, they do the answers, you go over with them, so it talks about these essential subjects of the gospel. 
And encourages patience and dependence on the Holy Spirit because you just wait till God opens their heart. It takes the pressure off because you're guiding them through the scriptures. And you always want to press them too quickly and they might die tomorrow. And that's true, but that can be overly pressuring to people that, in fact, Dr. Tillotson says, making an appointment with people, he said, I just believe in election enough that God will keep them alive till I talk with them. So uh, so it takes the pressure off to do things too quickly. Uh, It draws from one book of the Bible, I think is helpful, uh, all in the Gospel of John. So you don't have to look at Romans and Isaiah, and I think that's helpful. It's only a four-week commitment. In fact, the intended audience of the book of John is the world and the purpose that they would believe. John 20, 21 is the purpose of the book. It's designed for the world to believe in Christ the Savior. Uh, it stood the test of time and leading the people to Christ glorifies God and revives our hearts. Reminds that the gospel is personal and relational. And open to Acts 17 for just a moment. Now, there is a biblical precedent for something like this beyond. And sometimes tracks are all you have time for, and that's okay. And sometimes your testimony uh, is a good transition. Uh, but something like this has a biblical precedent of spending time with unsaved people in the Word. And we're thinking, who would be interested? And, and yet they are. And yet we find that, that Philip and the eunuch, he had a copy of the Bible and wanted to know what God, what God said about it. And, it's, and you look at Acts chapter 17, when Paul and Silas came to Berea. It says in verse 10 of Acts 17, And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away uh, in night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews, which were more noble than those in Thessalonica, received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures to see if they were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. And so they examine the scripture daily over a period of time, and because of that, they believe. So if someone is being drawn by the Spirit of God to Christ, they want to know what the Word of God says. That'll happen every single time. They will want to know what God's Word says. You get to be the person to bring them to the Word. And God uses, the Word of God is the agent of the new birth. The Spirit of God brings about the new birth. We're born again by incorruptible seed, which is the Word. So I want them to get into the Word of God and let God speak to them. And so I offer it to people to see what God wants to say. And so there's precedent for that. So open, open your John study to the middle, and uh, you have the four lessons, and we're going to kind of go through briefly how we use them. You can make your own copies. Uh, we use a different color. I mean, you can do them whatever color you want. These are the authorized colors. It's just... <laughs> Hal Miller would be very upset if he used... Actually, we use cherry... Uh, but they don't have cherry anymore, so you have to use something different. Um, I typically make co- more copies of lesson number one. It's not everyone will do all four lessons. And some might say, ah, I say, let's just try lesson one and see how you like it. So I, never, I don't give up that easily. And I say, say no, you say, let me all check back later. But it's a good opening, and I always try with lesson number one. So this is how we do it. We offer them to people you spend some time getting to know, repeat visitors, friends, co-workers. I offer them to people who I believe are unsaved or when I'm unsure that they're saved or not. You're going to get people coming to your church you meet, and, and you're just not going to sure where they stand. So what do you do with that? Well, I don't think you're saved. Now, Peter said that, <laughs> but I don't think it's the best way to start it. So, hey, they've shown some interest in some way. Let's do it. Want to do a study with me and let this word of God reveal to them where they are. And so it's a non-threatening way to work with people that you're unsure where they stand. Could be visitor, could be neighbor, could be friend. 
we have led many people to Christ who had accepted Christ before. But talking to them, we were unsure they understood the gospel. Uh, Dean and Nancy came to our church from Omaha. They had been baptized in a Baptist church, been immersed. And I said, well, tell you, well, they have to believe in Jesus? They said yes, and so they were, they were baptized. And I said, oh, yeah. so hey, you want to do a study with us? And they said yes, so we did. It was just unsure. And through that, Nancy, who is a very God-fearing, self-righteous person, God broke her and convicted of her sin. And Dean got saved later. And um, so God used that. So it's a great tool for people you're unsure of. Use it with your kids. Do devotions of this with your kids. Walk them through the gospel. Use it as devotion. Never assume people are saved just because you think they are. That happened to us. Our conversion story is people assumed that we were saved and we weren't. Uh, we were the, the nice young couple, you know, supposedly, and we were the God-fearing couple. We didn't try to deceive anybody, but no one asked us the hard question until someone actually did. And that's when God brought us to Christ. So um, never assume people are saved. It's a good transition. It's a good study for believers. It helps give them a clearer understanding of sharing the gospel. So even if you don't use this, you understand better the elements of the gospel, which is sin, and then Christ and then saving faith are the elements of the gospel. And having been a pastor for you know, 28 years, you hear have people come into membership and uh, we don't do a good job of clarifying how we got saved. Yeah, I prayed and I got saved. Well, no, never talk about sin, never talk about Christ, never talk about saving faith. And so the unsaved have no idea what we meant by that. So we can't use insider language. We can't use the stuff we know. So we have to talk about sin, as the problem, Christ is God's provision, and saving faith, making it personal. That's kind of the elements of the gospel. So this helps you understand that better, even if you don't use this all the time. So it, it, we just ask people if they'd be interested in doing a four-week Bible study with us in their home to see what the Bible has to say about salvation, eternal life, knowing for sure that's not a long time commitment. And I, I remember doing this to some pastors years ago, and a full-time evangelist said, how do you do that again? I said, you just ask him, want to be interested? Oh, good, got it. So don't feel badly that we don't know what to say. He, he was used to pulpit evangelism, but personal stuff wasn't in his wheelhouse. So we just say, could I ask a question? Would you be interested in doing a study with us for several weeks? And I never did them in my office. Pastor, don't do them in your office if you can help it. Do it in your home, do it in their home, or go back and forth and get out of the office, away from the preconceived ideas of what a pastor is and does. And they'll find out that you have a home and you have a dog and you wear jeans and you, you, you cook, you barbecue stuff and you watch football and it just sheds all the preconceived ideas about born-again people. And, and then you're in their home and we go back and forth and let them serve you and we, we do it always in someone's home. Could be a coffee shop but someplace not in church I would recommend. So we sometimes rotate where we go, never done it in my office, is how we get them started. So this is what we tell them when we offer the study to them. I tell them the Bible is God's word and this is how he speaks to us. Now that's important because people think that there are visions and stuff like that. This is how he speaks to us. I will tell them when you look up an answer to a question, God is talking to you. We've had people say that is so cool, but that's, it is his word, right? So we want them to hear God speaking to them and my role is to guide them, like Acts chapter 8, help them understand what, what they're reading. What is important is what God says, his answer to a question. It's not a Baptist book, it's not a Bible-believing book, it's just we want to see what the Bible says. 
And by reading each answer, you can discover what God has to say to you. Here's lesson number one. Now, it's interesting. People have a conception about the Bible. It's normally people have told them about it. They've never read it. But the other people have told them this is something. So they're parroting what they've heard. And I just want them to read it. They normally have not. I remember one guy said, well, ah, there's stuff in Genesis. I said, well, which chapter? Chapter one, yeah, that's the one. Which verse? I, I don't know, just that stuff. So he's never read it. And I kind of cornered him. He had no idea what he was talking about. And it ended the discussion. But they're parroting what they've heard. And the Bible is understandable. It's relevant. And they have an idea that you can shatter by just, I just want them to read it. And God uses his word and uses a testimony, uses a study, uses a tract to let God speak to their heart. That's what he's going to use through his spirit to open their hearts to the truth. And most people haven't. And it's fun to watch the process that they read a verse. Look, I said, the answer is in the verse. And they read the verse and they go, whoa, that's interesting. And the light goes on. It's really fun to watch that because they've never read it before and God quickens them. He illuminates their heart. The Bible's self-authenticating. I've never had to be much of an apologist with this, defending the Bible. At this point, most people just want to know what it says. And so I find that pretty interesting. And so I said, by reading each answer, you can discover what God has to say about you. Here's lesson number one. We give them one lesson at a time. So as you do the study, read each question, Look up the verse to find God's answer. The answer is in the verse. Now, most of these verses, we have them almost memorized, but they have never read them. It's fun to have unsaved people read the Bible for the first time. You remember reading it for the first time? You go, wow, that is so cool. And so you get to watch that. I said, each of you should do his or own study. If you have a couple, like a husband or wife, um, have them dig out their own answers separately. Um, they may be on different pages spiritually, different type uh, in, in the gospel, so have them do their verses separately. Uh, all the answers are found in the Gospel of John. In fact, if you look uh, like question number one and lesson number one, uh, it reads, in, in John 8, 12, what title is given to Jesus? He says, I am the light of the world. And later you're gonna have question three, why are some willing to live in darkness? Three, 19 and 20. What does that mean? We can't assume unsaved people know our insider language. It's a big key to reaching unsaved people is we have terms that we use, we think, you know, what's John? There are three of them at the end of the New Testament. Is that the same thing? And we know there are. And so we say this is the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 20. And it sounds, but they have no idea and never embarrass them. Um, we were there one day. We thought Moody Monthly was a psychology magazine. Think about that. Never heard of D.L. Moody. Isn't that crazy? We thought ayahuasca was an Indian tribe, not a men's retreat. And no one explained that to us. And so you can tell who worked with unsafe people because you don't use insider language with them. So make sure you understand what you're doing. Um, write the answer in the space provided. If you have any questions, make a note of them, and we'll go over them next week when we meet. But I asked them to work hard at trying to find an answer. They said, we'll meet in a week, and review these question in the lesson. At that time, I will give you lesson number two, and so on for each consecutive week. 
We'll cover four topics about man, the Savior, salvation, new life in Christ. When should we meet for our first lesson? Um, don't ever let the answer be sometime, because sometime is never. So pick a night, pick a day, and they typically will. We very few have had people that didn't want to set up a time. Set up a time, take about an hour and a half roughly. By the time you, you get there, we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, about an hour and a half, maybe two Set aside a time, at least once a week, as every other week, that's fine too, but set up a time to meet. Then I tell them, I will be praying for you that God would help you understand his word. On occasion, I've suggested they begin reading the Gospel of John. Some have done that by themselves on their own. That's pretty exciting too. And so this is what we, so you give them lesson number one, explained how it works, now you're meeting to go over lesson number one, and they filled in all, and most people, we found, have filled in the answers when you meet. It's been rare that they haven't. Uh, and if they haven't, say, let's just go, let's dive in. Don't, don't get after them. Don't, people are busy. Let's just do it. But most people have had them filled out by then. So keep it casual. Sit and chat for a bit. How did your week go? Have coffee or treats. Let them serve you in their home and uh, make you brownies and tea and coffee and stuff and let them show hospitality. Uh, make it personal. Pray before each study. Explain what prayer is, because they've never heard someone pray spontaneously. Most people haven't heard that. Uh, as a Lutheran, we play liturgically, you know, in, in church and in our homes. And the terror, you know, I should die before I wake. What a terrifying thing to pray when you go to bed as a kid. So prayer for me was liturgical. It was corporate. It wasn't spontaneous in person. You just, you just talk to God, and they'll go, you can just talk to God? Now, they know someone who knows God personally, and you're that person. And most have never heard something like that. And so just things that we do all the time, like let's pray. For the most of them, they've never seen anything like that. And you pray in a restaurant, and you just say, can I pray for a bit? I've never had someone, no, you can't pray. I've never had someone tell me that. If they do, you say, okay. And so you, you're even talking about you know God personally, and you pray. Remind them the Bible is God's word. We want to hear what he has to say, not my opinions. I'll help explain their questions and maybe give some illustration, but I want what God had. You point them to the word of God that he's going to use. Uh, we, we would start like this. We have four of us around a table, Sandy and I and a couple, and we're very creative. We take turns. So, Sandy, you read, you read question number one, and we'll up the verse, and then read the verse and give your answer. And then Danny would be next, and over here, we go around the table. That's how we do it. We might reverse direction the next week and be really creative. But everyone gets their turn, okay, us included. We're not just watching them. We're part of it. And now we're in this together. We did this with one couple, um, Jack and Teresa, directed to our church by a friend. And, and they came, we visited them, and it, it didn't go so well, and so I let them go. And they showed up in a couple of months to bring their grandson to church. And uh, Caden got saved in Patch Club. And I said, Jack, you want to do a study with Sandy and I? We'll go to your house, we'll go to our house. And how's that sound? He said, you would do that? He said it again, you would do that? See, they think pastors don't do that stuff. We sit in the office, and pastors don't sit in your office all the time. You're a shepherd. Do work of an event. You can't just sit there and study you know, 60 hours a week. You're called to be a shepherd and an evangelist to reach people. And, and, and they, don't, they think that's all we do. And, and we get the first lesson, and Teresa says, I am so embarrassed. I said, why? She said, I know nothing about God. I said, that's why we're here. I was like you 
about 15 years ago. Let's get started. And Jack had been a drunk, and AA had cleaned him up, but something was missing, he said, in his life. And knowing Christ was it. And eventually, around their table, uh, they both confessed Christ as their Savior. And we began to disciple them. That's getting ahead of myself. But we, we tell them that he, we want to have God has to say. So we take turns. I don't do these in a group typically bigger than a married couple. Um, I've kind of resisted the temptation to do this in a group of six people. We might try that. But I think it's a benefit of doing it closer because people are on different pages and they don't open up in a group. And you want them to bear their heart a little bit and maybe harden up being a husband and a wife. And there might be different places in their journey might have to press them a little bit and question them a little bit. And so we keep the group small. And you may do several in a week. We did that for a while, just several in a week, and it's taxing. But I think it's better to keep it personal over time. Um, if you can have your wife with you, men, with a couple, it really helps to have her there. Don't just be you, pastor, and a couple. Um, we do marriage counseling as a couple. We do these as a couple. Think of the woman with two men, and one's a pastor and one's her husband, and does she feel like a little bit overwhelmed by that? I wouldn't. So we never did it like that. Always as a couple, uh, she could relate to her. Uh, bring your children with you, if possible. Maybe they can be babysitters for the, the, the kids of the, the people you're working with. They learn to serve. They learn to help. Maybe they just do whatever. Maybe they just read. And we have couples remember our kids being there when they had their studies. To this day, that meant a lot to them, and they're still dear friends to this day. Um, as you go through the study, you'll find places that you can camp a bit. Uh, give an illustration, like what does the light of the world mean? Well, it's a metaphor, right? As the Bible uses metaphors. It figures of speech. You know, I'm the bread of life, I'm the door. Metaphors to speak of truth, understanding, and, and you know, it's, enlightenment, and so he's that brings light to the world. So he explained things. What's it mean that he's the door? He's the entrance to heaven. And so you camp a bit, kind of connect some dots. There's a, there's a, there's a verse in uh, John chapter 3, verse 18, that we're condemned already. And then another question said that Jesus did, did not con come to condemn the world, but to save it. Why? Because we're condemned already. Why would he condemn somebody that's condemned? So you connect some dots as you do this and maybe give some illustrations along the way, and, and you'll learn how to do that. Some questions need only a brief comment. Others, you'll want to camp there for a bit. You'll learn as you do then where to place the emphasis. The gospel's clear right from lesson one, but never press them to make a decision till after lesson three. After lesson three, they've heard about their sin nature, about Christ as the Savior, what saving faith means, what it means to come to Christ and what that looks like. At the end of chapter or lesson three, it says there's an optional question. It says, have you ever come to Christ in this way, and if so, when? So I asked them, I said, have you done the optional question? And they'll go, yes, sir, I didn't know what to write. Well, let's review that. And so I never pressed them till then, because then they're at, now they have the understanding. We've had people saved every, in every lesson, whether I press them or I just don't press them. It takes the pressure off to know when to get a decision. And sometimes even after lesson three, they don't get it. We go on to lesson four, New Life in Christ, or with Todd and Mandy, we went into the stranger book and gave her testimony. Uh, but I like taking the pressure off to get a decision quickly. I want them to understand. And I think you can tell by, by questions you ask them if they're understanding what, and just say, does this make sense to you? 
And so we'll say, do you do the optional question? They'll say yes or no. We say, well, let's review. What about sin? What about Christ? What about saving faith? And we ask them questions. What would keep you from coming to Christ today? We have all sorts of things we ask them. So it helps us to be clear. We've had people, because the gospel's in every lesson, we've had people saved in every lesson. Uh, The first lesson is powerful. It talks about sin nature, and the the peak of every every lesson has kind of like a pinnacle up and down, and the pinnacle in chapter, in lesson one, is John 3, 18, that we are condemned already. If you're not, you're condemned right now. And that just shatters every work system. There's, There's no do the best you can and find out how you did. Most people believe that you do the best you can, you die, find out how you did, and then God judges you based on what you did. Every system of works is based on that. You do the best you can to find out how you did later. Then you can know. For Catholics, it's St. Peter's Gate. For Lutherans, it's just dying, and God has like a balanced scale. Uh, My works outweigh the bad. The average person believes that. That's his system. And it shatters that system. We're condemned already. Nothing we do or do in the future changes that. And we, we were working with one couple, and they were sitting on their couch in their, in, in their, in their townhouse, and we, read the, we, we had to read the verse, and she just began to go, I am condemned, and I believe. Can I pray with you? I mean, can I say, pray after me? You know, was that it? Yeah, that was it. I say, what did you just do? So you ask questions, what did you just do? What did you understand? And these are powerful verses. We just don't remember that God's word is powerful to illuminate people's hearts. And, and, and that just happened. And uh, maybe it takes longer than that, but we, it takes the pressure off because we're the, we're the vessels and God does the saving. So be patient, let the Holy Spirit teach them, let him convict them, give them understanding, and point them to Christ, and you get to watch. Uh, we talk about question 25 in lesson three, uh, asking them if they've answered the optional question. Many times they'll say they're not sure, and we, and don't, we just say, well, let's review. Or does this make, or, and I sometimes said, could you explain the gospel to me so I know you understand it? That's a good way to do it. And, and they'll go, I don't know, let's review again. Um, and so I'm explaining it to you, helps you understand what they understand. And so we just ask them lots of questions. Um, this is where we review the gospel uh, after question number 20, ask if this makes sense to them. Uh, ask them if they now believe that Christ died for their sins, if they, if they could repeat the main elements back to you. If they would like to trust Christ now and say, well, this, there's transitions, there's they're making a friend, the transition to something like this, and then the other awkward from, how do I make an appeal now that they've gone to understand the gospel? And we typically don't know what these, these, these are, like the big leaps of faith, this big grand canyon. How do I make that less little leap to make the appeal? Well, you just say, would you like to trust Christ right now? Do you understand the elements? Can, do they make sense to you? And, and say, yes. And I, I didn't know how to do that. So you ask them a question, you'd like to trust Christ now, or what would prevent you? from coming to Christ right now and, and find out what's the barrier for that. And so you ask some questions. You keep on going. As long as they want to meet, you keep on going. After each lesson, you pray with them and thank them for taking the time to do the lesson. They didn't have to do this. They did it on their own time. And so you th- they say, thank you for taking time to do the lesson. God will honor the reading of his word, and you pray. If they're not saved after lesson one, that's okay. 
If God hasn't convicted them, why do I want to press them? And we used to do that a lot in our culture because they might die tonight. That drove us to press people too quickly, and that just drove me nuts. They weren't ready. So people made a decision just to get rid of you or not knowing what they did. So a lot of people sitting in churches had made a profession, had no clue what was going on, and we were probably at fault in that. And I, I just despise that. So this helps me wait for the work of the Holy Spirit to make sure they understand at the end of lesson one, and that's okay. We've not yet had anyone die between lesson one and lesson two. Now that could happen, but it takes the pressure off to pressure them before we talk about picking the fruit before it's ripe. We used to do that a lot in our fundamental movement, and I think it, it was really a bad thing to do. Uh, hand them the next lesson, set a date and a time and a place to meet. We sometimes go back and forth between our homes and find a work. They have little kids, and then you meet in their home. And sometimes their kids are kind of unruly, and Satan will use them to mess up your lesson. <laughs> We've had to do some interesting parenting instruction and tactfully, and, and yeah, those were interesting. And you pray for wisdom and grace because the devil will use their kids to interrupt your study. But you're teaching them how to parent their kids. And, and in closing, we, we get to do this. So this is a good tool. It's not the only, Dave Wood um, has a friend I've met, Jeff Musgrave, called The Exchange, right? Called The Exchange. It's a four lesson study based on the attributes of God. Is a digital version. I met Jeff at a conference a couple weeks ago. Another good tool to use in this same type of thing. So I think there's a website for that. The Exchange Message, I think, is the website. And it has a digital copy and a print copy. Um, I like golf clubs to add another club to your, to your bag. And I think this has stood the test of time because it gets people into the Word. It gets involved. And this just screams, I need to get involved in someone's life. That's what this tells me. I was working, with, I'll close a meeting with a pulpit committee of a larger church that hadn't seen people saved in a long time. And now they were losing people and not people changing churches. So I said, well, uh, the culture was to blame and all that kind of stuff. And I said, what are you doing to reach people with the gospel? And they didn't have an answer. And one old guy said, I need to do something like this. I said, yeah. Reaching people in a personal, relational, intentional way. And that just screams that. I need to make a friend, cultivate a friendship, pray that God would open their heart and say that they want to do this next with them. It's not a magic wand or a silver bullet, uh, but it is a way to get them into the Word of God so they're reading it for themselves. You get to watch. And, and when, you, when you see God open someone's heart and illuminate their spirit and convict them of sin and they profess, you get to hear that. You get to be, and then you get to disciple them and carry on maybe for months, maybe for years with them to disciple them. And, and that's sometimes terrifying, but you know, you can find good discipleship material. We go from this into what called one by one years ago and talk about prayer and the will of God. And it's always fun to hear new believers pray, the questions that they have. And we're at a church um, a couple weeks ago, this believer who was 50 years old, was saved about a year, he said, why, why do churches not have a cross up in front typically? Why is that? And I, I had to think about it. I gave him an answer. He said, oh, that's a good answer. I hadn't thought about that much, but this, this will stretch you. You want to revive your walk with the Lord is invest in people evangelistically. 
and watch God work. He's still saving people and wants to use each one of us. And if you have any questions, uh, either while we're here or later, uh, you can ask us. And we don't have all the answers, but it, God honors this method of getting into people's lives, getting them into the Word, and letting us guide into the Scriptures. And it's something anybody can do. Dave? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and you will find it's intimidating, but you will enjoy the organic friendship with people. Yeah, and they want relationship, and you will say, I actually enjoyed that. Instead of the pressure of when do you press them and how do we do this, it keeps you on track. Unless God speak to them and you just kind of guide them. So, and, and you, you should say, by the grace of God, I can do this. And somebody's saying, I've got a friend, what do do? this is what you could do next with them. So anyway... Have questions? Let me know.